The Radicals, a podcast version of the novel The Radicals, written by me, Marilyn Krasner. The Radicals is narrated by Amanda Friedlander. Intro and outro music by Siobhan Hurd. Links in the show notes. Welcome to episode one. My probation officer is sick. Cecilia says it isn't terminal, but this woman doesn't look good. I wouldn't know what terminal looks like anyway. If I had to draw it, I guess I would use a lot of gray, but not that peppy pastel gray people paint their walls with, more like a green gray. My PO's sterile county office is this color with bare walls where I would expect to see cat posters with motivational messages for us probationites. Her office smells like coffee and deep heat. Her office is terminal. Is this the office we always meet in? My PO doesn't answer. Maybe I didn't say that out loud. That would be a relief because it's a stupid question. I think she is dozing off while reading my report. What? She heard me. What are you talking about? She's wide awake now. Weird, it looks different. Never mind. Sorry. I try to recover with a nervous laugh, but she tilts her head ever so slightly, looks me straight in the eyes, and I know what's coming. When was your last drug test? Boom. A couple months ago. She spins her chair around, opens the metal drawers behind her, and shuffles items loudly, then spins back my way with a specimen cup in her hand. You know how to use one of these, right? She winks at me as she writes on the label using a thick black marker. You put it in the metal box in one of the special bathrooms down the hall. Off you go. You know how to use one of these? Uh, no, could you come help me do my pee-pee in the bathroom? She needs a new joke. The hallway leading to the bathrooms is gray as well and lined with doors. I know for a fact that there's life behind each one of these doors. Other criminals enduring their own humiliations. I want to run down this hallway and being on each of these doors so bad, but I won't. The three bathrooms at the end of this hallway have a sign on their doors reading, Drug Testing Only. I haven't done drugs in years, so I know I have nothing to worry about. Another reason why I'm not worried is that the name my PO wrote on the label of this now warm container is D. Jukes. My official name, the one in all my documents in this concrete fortress of justice known as the county courthouse, is Amanda Jukes. My father insisted on naming me, and the name he chose was Amanda. Mom says she thinks he chose it because of some actress he liked. I think Amanda was some girl he had a prepubescent crush on, and she rejected him, and he never got over it. I've never gotten over it. A man, duh. That's how I think of the name. It's not my name. It has the word man in it, and I am someone who has devoted my adult life to fighting for a world where men are not at the center of everything. If I couldn't change the whole world, I could at least change my own name. I tried Mandy for a while in high school when I started to understand who I was. Mandy was better than a man, duh, but still not acceptable because of the whole man part. Then after high school, I started telling people to call me D. That's how I said it. Call me D. Not, my name is D. It just sounds way cooler to say Call me D. The people I spent my time with didn't give a shit about small details like given names. We lived in squats, dumpster dived for meals most days, 
So how skilled you were at finding edible food in a pile of dark rubbish was a lot more important than the details on your birth certificate. Knowing too much about each other was actually a liability. If the police or a family-hired private dickhead came by and showed us photos of someone we recognized and said their real name, we could honestly say, don't know him, without a hint of guilt, because instead of Jennifer, I knew her as Squid, or instead of Sam, I knew him as Dot Dot. I could have picked something more creative for my street moniker, but I was a teenager and not very forward-thinking. At the time, I thought Dee was defiant, disregarded, dominant, deviant, and disgraceful, in a good way. Looking at my old lady face now in this drug-testing bathroom mirror, I'm not sure D fits me anymore. I've thought about going back to Amanda, just not Amanda. Regardless of what I choose to do about the name thing, this little drug-free pee bucket for D Jukes is going nowhere near my official records. I hope the bureaucratic machine does what it does best and bungles things up so that my sample gets mistaken for the pee from someone else. Preferably a woman who smokes weed because she needs to ease her stress. I like to think that my drug-free piss will lighten the heavy load of crap she's already carrying. I put the little cup in the middle box on the wall of the bathroom and yell, Fuck you! into the void. I immediately regret it. Whoever's at the receiving end of my shout is just doing their job. Fuck me. I wash my hands four times with really hot government water because this place grosses me out. Who knows how many pee and etc. soaked hands have touched that door handle. I take care of a 12-week-old baby now. I need to sterilize. My hands are red and the sides of my fingers are cracked and raw from the detergents they use on the linens at work. Cecilia keeps telling me that if I don't use the gloves, I need to use the moisturizer. The problem is that they keep the moisturizer in the corner of the lunchroom. If I go into the lunchroom, I have to be around those guys who always seem to be on break in the middle of the same story they don't want me to hear. I know this because when I've been on the outside of the lunchroom, I've heard their ruckus from behind the door. When I push the door open and they see it's me, they suck in their stupid stories like long forked tongues. After I leave, I imagine they open their mouths wide and those tongues roll out and with them comes whatever pussy grabber or shrunken penis story they were making up before I came in. I'm jealous of those lunchroom urchins. Not because I want to hang out with them, but because I no longer have buddies to sit around and shoot the shit with. Squid and dot dot, my pussy power cohorts faded into my backstory before I was ready for that to happen. There are silver linings. Hot showers, a full fridge, and monogamy and monotony. Back in the office, my P.O. is rubbing her temples. The light gray suit she is wearing is so big on her that she looks like a child who has stolen her mom's clothes and has gone to her mom's job as a joke. I read through your report. All good as usual. Attending group. Good feedback at work. Helps to be sleeping with the boss. She winks at me. Cecilia isn't my boss, directly. It was a joke, she says. Can I assume the past month has gone by without incident? Your impulses should be pretty much non-existent these days, right? I want to make the old joke about assuming, but I just nod, which turns into a joke because she mimics my nod with such exaggeration that it seems like she's trying to dislocate her neck on purpose. I need you to answer my questions with specific information. This report tells me you're ticking all the boxes. What I'm asking you is, have you been to any protests? Any social media you want to tell me about? You're dressed well today, can I assume it hasn't been a struggle to wear clothes? I feel my face heat up and I know it's changing into that stripy red that broadcasts to the world that I've been shamed. I haven't done anything, no. No protests, no social media, no contact with my old crew. Clothes? Are you wearing clothes consistently? She asks. I nod yes. Don't make me go digging for answers to my questions. I'll give you a tip for free. I find that if I set my clothes out the night before, getting dressed in the morning is no problem. You should try that. Your hair looks different. I'm growing it out. Just on the one side? She winks again. 
I fold my arms over my chest, slump in my chair. If she wants to treat me like a delinquent teenager, I will play along. My hairstyle is intentional, just like my clothes. I can't smash the patriarchy through disruption the way I used to, so I'm using my appearance. There's nothing in my sentence that says I can't cut my hair in a certain way or dye it black. Every couple of weeks I have to bribe Cecilia with foot massages so that she will shave the right side of my head. You're lucky I thought you were cute when I hired you. I don't think Cecilia realizes she gave me the same lecture every time she cuts my hair. Or because she frames it as a joke, she thinks I won't notice she's actually making fun of me. Or she thinks that I won't mind because it's so damn funny. You look like you're going to come in and organize all of my staff to mutiny against me, like some white savior. But you know what? They know I'm their savior because I gave them a job when no one else would. They don't forget that. It's not funny, but I put up with the routine because the haircut is pretty much the only time she pays attention to me. Also, she does a good job. Hairdressers in the past refuse to give me what I want when I tell them I want a dyke rough, fuck you style with no smooth lines. I always end up with a bob that I hack off as soon as I get my hands on a tool sharp enough for the job. My look is curated, especially now that I am forced to wear clothes at all times. My visible body hair and unfeminine attire are a daily disruption. I am challenging the puritanical norms that are way past their use-by dates, like the expectation that women need to appear clean and tidy at all times when really we are excessively dirty because we bleed once a month from our vaginas. In truth, we are close to magical beings because we bleed every month without dying, and we make people in our bodies. My clothes are often tight to show my natural shape, or ripped like this black t-shirt I have on. I cut and tore the sleeves off and sprayed bleach on it to make those lovely brown-yellow stains on the front. I didn't brush my hair this morning. I don't wear deodorant on the days I meet with my PO, although I'm reconsidering this action now that she is sick. I don't want my smell to make her nauseous. She hasn't said anything about how I smell, and she totally would. I don't have anything against her personally. It's just the system she represents that I want to assault with my body odor. Sometimes I imagine that Cecilia calls my PO and they talk about me. They congratulate each other on how well they've rehabilitated me into a successful probationite. What's next? Here's a new question I'm supposed to everyone. What do you do for self-care? Self-care, I ask back. Yeah, there's a list here. Yoga, facials, meditation, string art. Painting? I say too quickly, and I want to take it back instantly. Well, that sounds creative. It's not, I say. It's not? She's tapping her pen on the desk like a metronome. I don't want to talk to her about my painting. It's something I do because it makes time pass quickly when I'm alone between work and house chores and group and this appointment. All the time I used to spend planning the downfall of the patriarchal system, one bikini wax salon at a time. The painting helps quiet the repetitive thoughts I have nowadays about how much I fucked up, how much I didn't achieve by getting arrested. I go out and find wooden shipping pallets, then cut the straight pieces off with an old handsaw. It takes forever, but it's physical and gets me outside, so I don't mind. Cecilia's dad said I could have some old white paint that I found in their garage. Before I paint each piece, I add a drop of food coloring to some paint. Each piece of wood is darker than the previous. My favorite part of the whole process is when I line up the wood next to each other and look at them in a group. I feel like I've achieved something. I'm done here, my PO says with a deep sigh. My self-care regimen obviously not interesting enough for further questioning. You're still on track to complete your probation in about six months. Have you had a chance to look into my request for individual therapy? Her face doesn't change expression, so I keep talking. I think I've reached my limit in group. It's mostly men. Men, yes, I remember. We've gone over this, though. Men are half the world's population. You kind of need to accept that. The group is way more than half men. I don't always feel safe sharing personal things. 
Are you telling me that you've been in that group for two years and you haven't shared anything? I've shared things, but I don't feel safe. There are clicks, and yeah, the guy thing is hard for me. Well, that's kind of the point. The rest of us have to live in a world with men. If you're serious about rehabilitation, you need to join us in this world. No one is asking you to marry a man. It's not about your sexuality. Listen, it's about living in society, not outside of it. Believe me, if I could, I'd be home right now binge-watching some trash instead of here. But I'm participating, doing my part. Them's the breaks. I hear what you're saying, and I feel like I've been working hard. I think it would be even more beneficial for my rehabilitation to be able to meet one-on-one with a therapist instead of that group. Direct quote from role-playing this interaction with Cecilia. You could always look into therapy privately. That's an option, right? Cecilia makes good money. So you're saying no? I'm not saying no, but it's not that straightforward of a change. It's not standard practice either, especially because you only have six months left. I need to get approval from a judge, blah, 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 and by the time that happens, you'll be off the books. She taps her pen and stares at me. Is that it? I wanted to say, I heard you were unwell. Where'd you hear that? She takes a deep breath and straightens up in her chair and waves one hand like there's a bad smell. It's not a secret. I'm sick. Yeah, I'm sick. It's part of my life right now. It doesn't define me any more than you being on probation defines you, right? Actually, being sick gives me an advantage. It's almost like being at a disadvantage in my health and job like this is a good thing. Do you get that? Ever heard of empathy? You're nodding. I think I'm in the sweet spot. Struggling, hurting, trying to do my best under immense pressure. What do you say? Do you think you could possibly relate to that? Let's not forget you're the one on probation. I disconnect eye contact, reach over and pick up my big backpack from the floor. Why did I think saying that was a good idea? She isn't shutting up. I've been in this job a long time, and what I've come to realize, especially now with my situation of illness, that it's all about outlook. Ask yourself, do you see the world as a place full of opportunity to succeed, or a place full of sexist bigots that you need to teach a lesson by pushing a sex toy up against their behinds? How did that work out for you? The neckline of her oversized businesswoman jacket is rotating around her neck as her chest heaves with what could be anger, but is most likely excitement that she's dissed me so hard. I'm standing now, hugging my backpack in front of my chest. Its bulk comforts me. It's not my job to figure you out. Thank God, right? I'll leave that up to you. Don't forget to pick up your phone and computer from the tech room on your way out. She waves me off. The fluorescent lights in the waiting room buzz and flicker above the heads of at least 20 other downtrodden felons. I stare at my feet instead of engaging with any of them. That dressing down she just gave me will linger all day, while she will just move on to the next unlucky idiot and do her negativity thing all over again. I hand the thick-necked tech room guy my ticket. He comes back almost instantly with my laptop and phone, which are wrapped in so much government bubble wrap that the package could float all the way across the Pacific and wash up on the shores of some remote island, dry and ready to use. I squat down to make room in my overstuffed backpack for the tech. I've always lived out of backpacks. This one is different than the others because it holds stuff for me and a baby. Change of clothes, extra underwear for me, three diapers, baby wipes, plastic bags, a granola bar, a bottle of water, my wallet, and now the court scan and approved laptop and mobile phone. My PO used to be good. She made me herbal tea, asked me real human questions about my life and listened to my answers. Before she got sick, I thought I had an ally in a cold system that had only shown me its bureaucratic male side. Back then, my request to leave group would have been a sure, no problem. Then she got sick and it was like a switch flipped and my appointments felt much less about me and all about me getting out of the room so she could be that much closer to the end of her workday. Now it's like she's actively avoiding helping me and reads from a script that was written when I first met her. Has it been a struggle to wear clothes? 
What kind of question is that? It's like she doesn't give one incremental bit of a fuck about me. On the way to my car, I walk past the designated smoking area, also known as the butt stop. It's full of people huddled together, excreting smoke from any and all holes connected to their respiratory systems. They look like they're on fire. I scan the group for any familiar faces, but I can't tell them apart. It's possible they are a team of competitive smokers who come to the county courthouse because the design of this gazebo offers the only aerodynamic smoke-wicking technology in the city. They come here to perfect their skills. Maybe they are training for a competition in one of those great Eastern European cities where everyone seems depressed. The plain red would be hell. The air quality of their destination would drop the second they lit up after their long flight, where the no-smoking signs burned into their brains and caused the yearning plus guilt plus denial feeling that happens when people love something the world hates. I know that feeling. These smokers outside the county courthouse remind me of Sally. She loved the fragility and catastrophic power contained in those little cylinders. She sucked cigarettes to keep herself powerful. She smoked instead of eating. She smoked to avoid talking. Years ago, I brought Sally here when she was trapped in her own parole fortress. I wasted many hours walking around, sitting in my car or sunbathing on the soft green grass. The grass here is still lush, and it still makes me angry. The lawns must cost hundreds, maybe thousands of dollars a day to maintain. How many children are living in poverty just beyond the boundaries of this county courthouse? I hear the echoes of the old white men now from the bowels of these hallowed halls. No, we don't need to redirect funds from the landscaping budget to care for children. Kids can't eat grass, but they can sell it. After they get arrested, they will appreciate the delightful grass when they visit to be tried for crimes they commit because the state did not care for them when they needed to be engaged. Fuck those kids. Feed the grass. Mwahahaha. The whole time I've been suffering in that cold concrete box of shame, the sun has been directing its rays into my car and every inch of it is saturated with heat. I feel the burn of the steering wheel on my palms and the vinyl seat cover on my back. I love this feeling. I take my pants off to free my legs from one half of my socially acceptable uniform. The worn seat cover scratches the back of my thighs. I adjust the towel I sit on so that it covers the seat's exposed foam and springs. This is the only car I've ever had. Sally always used to say the car will outlive me. Driving out of the parking lot with no pants on is my little victory of the day. You fuckers can insult me, scrutinize my online viewing history, and scan my prehistoric phone, but you can't keep me from pulling my pants off inside my own car. I want to take it all off. I want to stand on my car roof and flap my tits in the wind like the stars and stripes up there on that flagpole, then raise my arms to the sky and shock the masses with my unshaven armpits. Look at me. I am what you fear. I don't do that. I can't. I'm on probation. What I can do is turn the music up very loud. If I knew all the shit that happened at the county courthouse was going to be my shit to deal with, I wouldn't have done what I did. I was out of sorts on the day of my arrest. I wasn't thinking of what if. I was self-destructive, arrogant, kind of brilliant. I was bored, just driving around with no clear destination. I saw a pathetic, itty-bitty protest happening outside the very same county courthouse I have escaped from just now. When I saw them, I felt a rare spark in my gut. Kind of like when I see someone I know, and at the moment I see them, I realize I had this feeling that I was going to see them before it happened. I'm not spiritual, but before I saw those protesters, I knew something was going to go down that day. I kind of went on autopilot from that point and circled the block a few times so I could get a better look. They held signs reading, Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve, and God hates fags. I didn't find the sentiment offensive, it was their complete lack of originality that I wanted to challenge. 
There must have been a big sale at www.bigotsigns.com. I parked my car, which was also my home at the time, as close as I could to the group. I climbed into the back seat and changed into the gear I had on hand. I emerged from the car, naked except for my black combat boots, a harness on my crotch, and a foot-long hot pink dildo with pussy power written in black paint on the shaft. I wore a gorilla mask to hide my face, not because I was ashamed, but because this was a solo disruption and I was feeling vulnerable. Even though pussy power did not engage in solo disruptions in that moment, I was sure I was right because over the years I had developed the narrative for hundreds of disruptions. This opportunity was too good to let go. The narrative came to me fully formed the moment I saw those guys. Homophobes equaled fear. Fear equaled desire. My mission was to bump the men with the dildo. I wanted them to feel the thing they feared the most up against them physically and force them to question their hate slash desire. I wanted to be a catalyst of change for those guys. A queer fairy who sprinkled them with a little sex toy dust and opened their minds to the positivity of love instead of hate. Psyching myself up, I chanted, go, 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 as I marched toward the group of men as my humid breath bounced off the internal surface of the mask. I was momentarily stunned by the choking fumes of their combined brands of aftershave. I held my breath and ventured deep within the hate circle, resisting the urge to block my eyes from the blinding brightness of their crisp khaki pants and polo shirts, the uniform of the brainwashed American male. I managed to make contact with several unsuspecting, fully clothed backsides, prompting a chorus of low, guttural screams from deep within the flock. I would be lying if I said I have not replayed this ballad of fear in my mind many times since that day. I do it to remind myself that even though I was outnumbered, I was in the right. Confident and triumphant, I raised my arms as a warm Los Angeles breeze caressed my bare body. The retaliation was swift and painful. Through the small eye holes of the mask, I could see Bibles and protest signs flying at me with such force that I lost my balance and fell onto the rough concrete sidewalk. I shielded my eyes as the sanctimonious men closed in on me. They grunted and punched, no doubt as they had rehearsed in their basement church where they spent hot, sweaty hours huddled together, praying that someone would counter-protest so they could bash them and at the same time push all of their own same-sex attraction feelings way, 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 way down. I was fine. It wasn't the worst set of hits I had received as a pussy, and I gave as much as I got. A fair few of those dudes walked away with bloodied lips and sore balls, but it was me who was in handcuffs at the end of it all. I still think my idea, although flawed in its execution, was not a bad one. I was at the top of my game in terms of creativity and practicality. I had the dildo on hand. I had a great opportunity. I just didn't have the backup to safely exit the situation. A security guard delivered me directly to the booking office at the county courthouse, where I continued my one-woman show for the uncomfortable male officer assigned to keep an eye on me. He hid seated behind his desk and did his best not to keep his eyes on me. I was still topless wearing the dildo at full salute. Poor guy. I could tell he was aroused by me. Some random woman came in and threw a hospital gown at me, insisting I cover up. I put it on, but made sure it was on backwards so it stayed open at the front. I sat there for hours replaying the incident over and over in my mind. I was on point, but I shouldn't have done things alone. It was rule one of pussy power to always have backup. I don't want to make it sound like pussy power had a structure or anything, but we had protocols, and protocol for a disruption was that we never did things alone. We used tools to stay connected. In the 90s, it was old-school walkie-talkies and hand signals. When mobile phones came along, everyone had a burner or two or four. Without burners, we were lost lambs in a field of wolves. 
If the police ever paid us attention during a disruption, we were gone. Our mission was not civil disobedience, but disruption. We did not believe that being arrested would benefit any cause because it would take us out of action. When I say we did or did not believe something, I'm not speaking on behalf of any other pussy power participant, of which there were hundreds over the years, many of whom did not have a pussy. We've been called man-haters, separatists, and every other reductive definition known to man. And when I say we, I am not referring to pussy power as a group. We were not a group. A group is a collection of amateurs who get together for a single issue, like protesting a skate park or halfway house or some other NIMBY bullshit. Groups usually have one leader who sees the other participants as extensions of himself and therefore does not take anyone else's opinions or suggestions into account. Pussy Power was a collective of women indoctrinated in the belief that through consistent, small-scale, poignant disruptions to the patriarchal methods of societal control, we would free ourselves from the might-is-right oppression that dominated the lives of every person on the planet. We called our actions disruptions. That was our word before it was co-opted by tech companies and other corporate flops to represent whatever half-brained idea they are bringing to market that will crack open the status quo with the goal of directing a lava-like flow of attention and money to the foot of the marbled staircase in the lobby of their decadent office tower. That is not the kind of disruption I'm talking about. I'm talking about seed planting. My activism has always been about making small tap-tap-taps in people's minds that leave a hole just big enough to plant a seed. I never wanted to crack open minds. That's too much responsibility. I don't have all the answers. That day, I just plain fucked up. It was humiliating. There I was with my bare 41-year-old ass freezing in a metal government chair while I waited for my mommy to bail me out. The protesters, who turned out to be a church group from somewhere inland and inbred, tried to make a show and get me charged with sexual assault, which fucking pissed me off. Hunched over the laptop on the small table in my mother's dark hallway between her kitchen and her living room, I launched a campaign of incessant emails and phone calls to anyone remotely associated with the county courthouse. My case was eventually assigned to a lawyer who was on my side. He was family, and although he was a misogynist and repeatedly humiliated me in court with his condescending descriptions of my activism, such as ill-conceived political statements, deep down I think he understood the humor and function of my disruption. I was charged with multiple counts of assault because I didn't just touch one person with the dildo, I touched many. I was well actually repeatedly by the male lawyer, the male judge, and every other government misogynist who shared their unsolicited opinion telling me that I shouldn't complain because I got off easy with my sentence. I don't think 30 months of misdemeanor probation is getting off easy when men who rape women get to run companies and countries. I also got some new sentence called the maintenance package, meaning for the duration of my exorbitant probation I am forced to be employed, forced to attend group therapy, forced to have my phone and laptop scanned, forced to have a fixed address that can be raided at any time. As I drive from the courthouse to the community center, I rage through a couple songs and with each song I calm down. Then I realize the time. I'm going to be late for group, but that's fine. Getting to group early is worse than being late because of the awkward silence or even more awkward small talk that occurs within my group of misfits. If I'm late, like I am today, I have to walk in the big, echoey gymnasium with people sitting in a circle and staring at me because the door squeaks when it opens. No matter how slow or fast I try to open it, the door shrieks and all heads in the circle turn to look at me. It's fine. I walk past the coffee and tea table even though I want a coffee bad. On second thoughts, I turn around and go back to it. 
I don't look at the group. I make my coffee as quickly as I can and then walk toward my seat. I always sit in the same seat and the others always sit in their same seats. If a new person joins in there early, which they usually are, a regular will lose their seat and it gets awkward. I love it when that happens because group leader has to negotiate with the person who lost their seat. The drug dealers sit to my left. They are an underhanded group of Neanderthals. My interactions with them have almost always consisted of them asking questions about lesbian sex that I don't answer. Then we have the sex workers, the fraudsters, a few miscellaneous people who fall into multiple categories like assaults and the shoplifter. The shoplifter is the newest addition to the group. She's a bit of a kiss-up to group leader, but if I had to choose between her and the head hooker to hang out with, I'd choose her. I have nothing against sex workers, it's just that this one particular woman doesn't seem to dig me, so none of the others do. I have a feeling she's in the process of being born again, so no dykes allowed in her heaven. Hello, Dee, group leader says in her fake-as-fuck, sing-songy happy voice. Glad you got your coffee. I smile and nod. Would you like to check in? Group leader is older than my mom and probably close to retiring. When she talks, and she can talk, her frizzy gray hair bounces. She wears thick, bright-colored elastic headbands to keep the frizz out of her face. Today's color is fluorescent green. What's been happening? Not much. Nothing to check in about? No breakthroughs or challenges since we last saw you? I have a flash of fear that I didn't put my pants back on. I look down and see the black of my jeans, and the pain in my right thigh announces itself. I pulled them on in the front seat and slipped, pressing my thigh hard into the stick shift. I should have used the back seat. I purposely parked a couple of blocks away from here so no one in group would see me. I'm not ashamed of my body, I'm just hyper-aware that they know being fully clothed at all times in public is a condition of my probation, and some of these assholes would snitch. Nope, things are good, I'm good. I slap the top of my thighs and rub my hands back and forth on my legs. She's doing that avoidance pattern thing. The runt drug dealer chimes in without being invited to speak. This fucking guy thinks he knows me. What a rookie move. He's maybe 22, a tadpole. Group leader will shut him down. I've seen her do it before with the show-offs. How about you? Would you like to check in? Group leader says, switching her attention to the little man without a plan. The whole avoidance pattern thing might be true, but who cares? It was created by the drug dealers, many of whom have been in group for years and years. I bet they look forward to groups so they can share their inside jokes like middle school boys. They make up names for people in the group that focus on our behavior. I'm Difficult Dyke. The head sex worker is Happy Hooker because obviously they think she has sex for a living, so she must be happy. The hairy dude is Angry Andy, probably because his name is Andy. He's been coming to group for years for assault and other various violent things that I'm super curious about. Shoplifter hasn't been given a name as far as I can tell. She's real chatty, and maybe they feel she's harmless. Weird strategy, but I kind of get it. Be on everybody's good side and don't poke out or get noticed. I have a hard time pulling that off. They don't like my hairy legs, my half-shaved hair, my lack of a bra. Or maybe they do like all of that, and that's why I poke out. Shoplifter seems devious. She would have been pussy power material. She could have used her shoplifting skills to lift supplies for disruptions or possibly drive the getaway. The runt drug dealer blabs on forever about his family and dealing-related drama until group leader cuts him off by popping out of her chair and announcing that the energy in this room needs a clean-out. She claps twice, then yells in a not-very-relaxed tone, Breathing time. You've all been practicing your breathing on your own time, right? I will be able to tell. That sing-songy voice she uses when she is frustrated, coupled with the wag of her finger and instantly I'm back in third grade, sitting isolated among a room full of people who will never get me. 
Is it possible I haven't evolved at all in the 35 years since I sat at that child's school desk? Have I traded the teachers in for a probation officer? Hands on laps, palms up, eyes closed, 10 breaths, here we go. Eyes closed, Dee, not too hard, is it? Breathe in, everybody, that's it. Exhale, big breath in, that's it, out, in. Fill your belly and chest, feel your feelings. Now out, you are not alone. In with the love in this room, the support, the guidance of the group, out with shame. In with forgiveness, forgive yourself, your past, out with the past. You're here, the present is what matters. In with acknowledging you've been hurt, out with holding on to that hurt. I never did a lot of drugs, but I understand why people do them. I'm not saying breathing is like being high, but it does calm me down. It resets my mind, which can get me wound up sometimes, most of the time. Yes, you've been hurt, but don't let that change your positive trajectory. In with light, out with shame, in, out, in, out, in, out. That's 10, folks. Splendid. D? Oh, fuck. She isn't letting me off the hook. Now, I've been thinking about something you said last session. We were talking about our childhoods. It's all back to when we were kids, right, everyone? Say it with me. And this is our cue to say group leader's most used mantra. They didn't mean to, but they hurt me. So you got hurt, everybody. You were done wrong. I'm so sorry that happened to you. Some of you have children of your own, right, Dee? And it's important that we start today. I don't care if you hurt one of your kids last night. Push the reset button today. Don't leave here and hurt somebody else because you've been hurt. The speech is so repetitive. We hear it at least once a month. I think she uses this one after she's had an incident with one of her own kids. She has said something she regrets and she wants to feel superior to us. And Dee... You said that you aren't happy about where your life has ended up. I did. I have no idea what she is talking about and no plan to answer her deep dive disaster of a question. That's what I heard. I remember asking you about your hopes and dreams as a young person, and you said you didn't think you would be here. She lies. My hopes and dreams. You seem sad, Dee. Does the question upset you? Does the question upset me? Group leader leans forward, steadying herself with one foot. She looks like she's fishing and she's got a bite. I'm the bite. Will she finally reel me in or will I break free as I've done every other time I've been on the hook? And me. I'm sitting leaned back in my chair with my arms folded across my chest and my legs spread wide. I would like to share my feelings, but because my participation here is mandated by the terms of my probation and the drug dealers are listening, I find it impossible to be honest. I will not participate in this forced submissiveness. I impulsively suppress the emotions floating close to the surface. Yeah, I'm pissed off I'm on probation. I was always so careful. Where did things go wrong for you? I shouldn't have been by myself. We always worked as a team. Not when you were arrested. I want to know when you moved off the path you were on and onto the path that led you here. Oh, you mean when I realized our culture is based on genocide and misogyny and my purpose in life is to poke holes in the systems of oppression that most people passively accept as normal? I use air quotes when I say normal. Group leader slouches and sits back. I've escaped from being caught once again. I've given the speech many times here. 
She didn't break me today, and she knows it. I have an idea for a reality TV show based on this group. It would be called Probation Station. The voiceover would be done by a raspy voice chain smoker. We take 12 losers and hire a low-budget therapist at the end of her career to squeeze out stored-up emotions like white hats on pimples. Watch the unwatchable. Listen to the unlistenable reality of failed human beings. Next time on Probation Station. This ain't trouble. What a surprise. One of the drug dealers has decided it's his turn. Man, they love attention. Group leader has sunk so low in her chair that she's almost lying on the floor. She makes eye contact with me. I return her stare and I can read her thoughts. I was so close to cracking D. That elusive woman I am curious about and kind of envious of. Oh, D, why won't she let me in? She turns her attention to the drug dealer who is talking about what real trouble is. Real trouble is not having a place to sleep or not knowing where your kids are. Trouble is getting jacked by the drug dealer down the block or your mom flushing your stash down the toilet. This ain't shit. Those drug dealers think they are poets. I'm bored. 45 more minutes of this. Maybe I should pull out the stair. Who would I use it on? Group leader or the runt drug dealer? Nah, it's too powerful for these idiots. The stare is a method I developed early as a pussy. It's kind of what I'm known for. I haven't used the stare in a long time. Used to be that I'd pull it out once a week to stay in shape. It can be hard on the eyes. At disruptions, I would focus on someone and stare them down. It was effective and made people uncomfortable. People hated being uncomfortable. Even in the middle of whatever chaos we were causing, if I hooked on someone with my stare, they were gone. Like if I was on the front line and serving as support in one of the targets, or a bystander looked like they were going to call the cops or try to stop us, I would do the stare. Either they dropped their eyes and got away from my field of vision ASAP, or they charged me, and I can count on one hand how many times that happened. People always looked away. Of course, if they charged, I charged back. It evolved from a stare down to a game of chicken. I'm not scared of pain. I miss those days. I never did anything I didn't want to do, and now look at me sitting around in a community center gymnasium in a sharing circle with losers. Fuck. When group leader calls time, I'm already halfway out of my chair. Before I get outside, someone grabs me by the elbow gently, but I instinctively pull away with a jerk. It's shoplifter. Here, she says as she holds out a business card. You're funny. Call me if you want to hang out. I look at the card. It's black with a green swirl on it that reminds me of rhythmic gymnastics. Julianne Cartwright. Sounds like a character on Dallas or some other 80s soap opera. There is no job title or business name, just a phone number and a handwritten email address. I look at Julianne's face. I do a variation of the stare, one that I call truth serum. She is smiling, but the longer I stare, the more her smile fades and then she grunts. Aren't you going to say anything? She asks. She's not intimidated. The stare must be losing its power. Thank you. You will call, right? I think you need someone to talk to. She stabs my right shoulder hard with her pointer finger. She turns and walks out the door. Maybe they aren't all that in here. Everything feels so upside